It's time to think differently about healthcare, but how do we keep up? The days of yesterday's medicine are long gone, and we're left trying to figure out where to go from here. With all the talk about politics and technology, it can be easy to forget that healthcare is still all about humans. And many of those humans have unbelievable stories to tell. Here, we leave the policy debates to the other guys and focus instead on the people and ideas that are changing the way we address our health. It's time to navigate the new landscape of healthcare together and hear some amazing stories along the way. Ready for a breath of fresh air? It's time for your Paradigm Shift. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare, and thank you for listening. I'm Michael Roberts with co-hosts Scott Zeitzer and Jared Johnson. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Craig Green, an orthopedic surgeon from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is just down the road from us here in in New Orleans. So uh, hi, Dr. Green, and welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time. Hello, everyone. Thank you all for having me. Doc, I have known you for quite some time. I was trying to pin that down. I know that we created your online presence back in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. So it's got to be close to like eight years or so, if I'm not mistaken. I would say we've known each other not too long, but not long enough. So I hope the relationship continues. You know, the the friendships I value the most are the ones with the lowest maintenance. And I think of things in terms of there's people that speak in book volumes. There's people that speak in chapters people that speak in paragraphs, some in sentences, and some can just go with words and nods. And I find that Scott and Michael and Mudbug, we're usually on the same wavelength. So a word can be very concise at conveying that we're on the same page. Yeah, I feel the same way. We've, uh, we've done quite well with each other. And one thing we were working together on trying to get a sense for your practice, and we decided that video would be a really good option to show off just, frankly, how nice a guy you are and how open you are with your patients. And I remember that a couple came in and they drove for about an hour to come in and just say how nice you were. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, the sweet couple and we've become very close and uh, they'd had a a rough going with orthopedists elsewhere and they found me and uh you know i really view the patient doctor patient relationship as just that it's a relationship they're, they're entrusting me with something that's very valuable i don't take that lightly and so you know one of the things i tell people if they come to me for a surgery i say look this is kind of our first date all right so we'll just get to know each other and then unless they come hey i'm ready here for a hip or a knee replacement you know so we do have this relationship and that, that's important because I think trust is, is so important and especially when you're going into a surgery. But yeah, they came from outside of Opelousas. Yeah. I can picture them right now. For people who are not too knowledgeable of the geography of Louisiana, that, that's a good ride to come in and just say that my surgeon who already completed the work was really good at what they did and wanted to uh, talk up the surgeon. And that was where I was leading was what, what kind of impact does a real connection with the patient make in terms of overall care? There's so many ways to connect now, but not all of them are meaningful. You know, you've heard the social media where I have this many friends. I've heard it said before that you can really only have about 150, which is a lot of meaningful relationships at one time. I have a multitude of children. And so that tends to max out a lot of the relationships I have. But I say that to say that in the past, Prior to the media outlets that exist now, 
it was purely word of mouth and convenience that somebody would go see a doctor. And nowadays they Google, they do their research. They also talk to patients. And so they found me. I'm not sure how they find they found me, but I always try to connect whether it was their cousin, their aunt, Google search, just so I can kind of connect the dots with them. One other thing I would say about that, and I use this when I lecture to presidents about fixing fractures. I tell them about the young couple that got married and, and come Thanksgiving, the wife goes to cook a ham and she puts it in, she cuts the two ends off, puts it in the pot, puts it in the oven. And the young husband foolishly says, why'd you do that? And she said, well, that's the way my mama did it. And so they go to the mom's house later and sure enough, she does the same thing. And she said, well, that's the way my mama did it. So then they went to the grandma's house and he said, look, I just have to ask your daughter and your granddaughter both cut the two ends off of a ham, put it in the pot, put it in the oven. And they say that they do that because that's the way you did it. I'm just curious. Why did you do it that way? And the grandma goes, oh, baby, back then we didn't have pots big enough. And, <laughs> and I say that because there are different pots and pans now that empower patients to find the doctor that they feel comfortable with. And that's different media outlets. There's, there's reporting agencies. There's still word of mouth. But they have bigger, they have a lot more pots and pans right now to explore their options, which I think is good for patients. Yeah, and then you get the patient to come into the office. And, and this is where I think you've got that ability to kind of gain that rapport. So they've, they've done their research online, as you've mentioned, whether it's via reputation marketing or whether it's done just by doing Google searches or the old-fashioned friends and family referral. But now they're in your office and you're, is gaining the trust of your patients like one of the things that you have in the back of your head as you're talking to them so that you can help take care of them? Is, is that part of what you're doing or is that just come across naturally? Both. I think patients can tell if it's just an act or if, you know, some, the doctor just doesn't care. In some regards, in my profession, some, I had a, my old chemistry professor at LSU. I saw him yesterday. And he said his son did not go into orthopedics because y'all are just a bunch of carpenters. It's not <laughs> untrue, but if you're a patient, you sure want to know that your carpenter cares a lot and can work himself out of a jam. And so, yes and no, but I think that's also something that either you have or you don't. And the key word there, and, and I learned this, thankfully, at an early stage, that you know what the world's most powerful emotion is? And the answer is empathy handful of people I see each day that I listen to them and I hear them out and I might say, I don't know how you do it. That must be so difficult. There's nothing I can do to help, but I don't know how you do it. And then they, they still had a good experience. That has to be done where I'm listening. I try to have somebody in the room to where I'm not just looking on the computer or writing on a paper the whole time. I'm, I'm asking them deeper questions about where do you work and what is retirement like? And just trying to get to know them a little bit. You know, Dr. Green, um, one of the things that I've kind of seen happening more online with, you know, patient communities and with some of the different folks that are involved in healthcare talking about is trying to make empathy more a part of sort of ongoing care of making it more, you know, standard operating procedure, whatever you would, whatever phrase you'd want to use there. Is that something that you see happening among your peers? Is that something that you see ha happening yet, like in all the local levels, or is that still something that we're just trying to get towards? It's so competitive. There's been such, it's almost like the, you can the wrong and fastest on the wrong syllable because 
the test scores have become so important. And what's not in a test score is how empathetic are you? And, and they, you, granted, you still have to have the skill level, but you also have the hear you out, listen, and, and uh, try to connect you. So since weed those doctors out more than a process weeds. That's an interesting point. You know, I know the old school definition of the quote unquote great surgeon was this gruff person that was brilliant in the operating room, but, you know, horrible with the patient, terrible bedside matter. And I've noticed over the years that I'm seeing less and less of that type of surgeon. I'm not sure if that's just a natural outgrowth, like just from a competition perspective, if that's medical schools and residency programs trying to tell their trainees that you've got to do a better job of connecting with your patients because it's better for their care. I think that's kind of where I'm going on that. I know that comes naturally to you, but it doesn't come naturally to everybody. If you could just get better every day. And, and I think about that myself for physically, spiritually, relationally, as a surgeon, like how can we get better every day? And, and I even pull my staff aside and, and emphasize, what can we do differently? I mean, this entire patient experience reflects on me and I don't want it to be about me, but how long do they wait? Why do they have to fill out forms all the time? Is there, a, is there, are there new pots and pans for getting from the parking lot into in front of me? And how can we make that better for the patient? And look, we're not there yet. There's a lot of obstacles to that. But I think there's also a lot of pots and pans. Uh, you know, you're right. So, the often, so often they talk about, I remember when I first started in this business and I would talk to orthopedic surgeons and the first thing that they would always say to me would be something like, man, you got to take a look at how nice the cuts were on this total knee. Look at those chamfer cuts. And I'd kind of laugh and go, you know, I'm not so sure your patients want to see a picture of a total knee during surgery. I think they'd rather know what's happening before the surgery, what's happening after the surgery. That's the scary part, not when they're knocked out. The difficult part is before and after. And I think you're right. That team approach is so critical. You have somebody in the room taking care of the EMR slash EHR, the electronic medical record, electronic health record stuff, entering all that information. And so you could actually look at your patient. Hey, that's an extra cost to have another human being in there doing that work. But the outcome is better for the patient. And overall, from a long term, it's probably a very cost-effective option. But somebody in your practice had to say, this makes sense. We're going to spend the extra money to do this. It's better for the patient. It's interesting where you pick up little things along the way mother-in-law went to an internist and I saw her and I said, how was it? She goes, doctor never even looked at me. He just looked at the computer the whole time. And I thought, okay, the, the, the experience through the eyes of a patient. And so whether that's a PA or a medical assistant, it's essentially a scribe, but that can tell the story. And telling the story is important because the story is to me, to my staff, to a jury, to another doctor, like that's important as well. But you're right. I think people appreciate the fact that, all right, this doctor's not doing anything else. He's listening and, and actively listening, you know? Yeah, I agree. You know, when, when a patient is sick, they're nervous. This is very important. This is not going in to buy a cup of coffee. They're sick and they need, and it's with orthopedic surgeons, as silly as it sounds, like you said, carpentry, but they're in need of repair. You know, they're in pain. Right. And if you're sitting there typing tons of stuff into a uh, medical record instead of listening to why they're in pain and how you can help them, it's got to be frustrating from a patient's perspective. I learned early in anecdotes and stories that, that led to this. And one of them is a good friend of mine was a guy named Alan Levine. And Alan, 
he was Jeb Bush's secretary of health and hospitals when he was a gov when Jeb was the governor of Florida for eight years. He said to me, he was a friend, Alan was a good friend and still is. And he said, you know, Jeb Bush was amazing. He gave everybody he saw his email address, jeb at jeb.org. And you could email, he would email you back. He said, we found out that hospitals were down and had eight, eight or eight hurricanes while that come, came across Florida while he was governor. And they would find out about it from somebody emailing Jeb Bush. And I said, I don't really believe you. So I emailed him, Mr. James Craig Green. I'm friends with Alan Levine. He said, you always respond to emails. Uh, you know, I go to the hospital 530 the next morning and I had an email from Jeb Bush at 343 in the morning. And he said, uh, yes, I do. Please tell Alan I said hello. Let me know if I can help you with anything. Now, either he has a really good staff member who does that for him or he did it. But sure enough, like at nine o'clock that morning, I was in surgery and I needed to get in touch with my staff. So I called the direct line. Nobody answered. I called the main line. I got listened to music, pressed the number, got put on hold, got transferred to the pod area, got put on hold again, and then got transferred to the same voicemail I just. And I thought, that's me calling my staff. And they were probably busy doing something. But what if you're a patient calling saying, I have drainage from my wound or I'm out of medication or giving every patient my email address? And it was a little bit of a risk because, man, they're going to. And guess what? They just wanted to know that they could get in touch with me if they needed to. Most of them were like, I didn't want to bother you. But when they would reach out to me and I had a timer at the bottom, that my lawyer helped me come up with because they were contacting me. When I responded, I would just copy my staff. It was usually either come in tomorrow, yes, no, or come in tomorrow. And they could send me data. I would have information. And it cut down on the number of phone calls I'd have to call at the end of the day. And oftentimes it would be, hey, you took care of me, but my son hurt his knee at football practice. Can we see you tomorrow morning? I would respond, include my secretary. Yes, it's done. I said yeah. pot and pan and it also gives patient assurance that if I really need him, he'll check it. Yeah. Dr. Green, you talk a lot about some of these different, I love this uh, pots and pans uh, way of referring to it all. And so, you know, Jared has been, you know, just recently speaking at healthcare conferences, talking about this from a marketing standpoint as well. Jared, I know you had some questions around this sort of pots and pans approach about just sort of that mix of new patients as they're coming in. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Yeah, you're, and you're right, Dr. Green. I first and foremost is thank you for your approach to patient relationships because I get in touch with a lot of these empowered patient communities, and I hear you know the types of things that they're asking their providers or their primary care physicians to do and to actually create that relationship and treat them as a human being. And the word empathy that just rolled off your lips. I mean, that is very refreshing. So first and foremost, wanted to thank you for that. But as Michael said, there are a lot of things about just how relationships with patients begin. And a lot of it has to do with as there's, as we are searching for a provider to provide care. So I was curious from your standpoint, you knowing in your, in your experience, I was curious as how often you're seeing referrals from, fam from family and friends uh, versus seeing people that you have no pre-existing connection with, and then how you approach each group, whether it's the same way or, or differently. Well, that's a good question. You know, the same mentor that told me that about nice guy, good hands. We were walking down the hall from surgery to clinic one day, and this is when in my training, and a, another doctor of some sort, anesthesiologist or, or somebody else, stopped him and said, hey, my knee hurts. And Dr. Hamilton, instead of saying, just call my office, he stopped, he listened for, for five or 10 minutes, 
And then he said, hey, I think this is what you have, but come see me. And we're walking away. And he said, you know, Craig, if somebody in the medical field asks you to take care of them or their family, that's the highest honor because mm-hmm. they know all of the possibilities, all of them. They've worked with and they picked you. That really stuck too. And I also think about patients that refer their family that, hey, I trust this person, so go see them. And see a lot of patients that don't actually need me. And at first I was like, well, this is a waste of their time and my time. But really they just wanted my, hey, you need to ask your surgeon. Well, who do you recommend? And so I value that, that they trust my opinion on whether it's something I do or I send them. And so what I like to do make the connection of, so how, and staff usually helps, or they put it on a form. How did you end up here today? Oh, he took care of my uncle or so-and-so sent me, or I found him on the internet. And so when I look in the room, if I took their cousin, Stephanie, I'll say to Stephanie, that Mm -hmm. connection while I'm with them. Couple things I try to do to enhance the patient relationship, that really the patient is, I've heard it said before that bad doctors two may seem like two and good doctors make two minutes seem like 10. And so I, I kind of engineer the, the wrong word, but office to where I sit on the other side, like my patient is between me and the exit and I have a chair rolling. So I sit in a relaxed position and I listen and then I examine And then I tell them what I think. We get to the bottom of it. And then they always leave having my email. And I always ask them, do you have any more questions? Because I read once that doctors give reasons either feel rushed or condescended upon. So it's even to the point where if they're on the exam table, I'm sitting there above me. I'm not talking down to them. I'm listening on from them. And so I really want them to feel like they have the power. And more and more, we can get into this. I think the future is going to be data. And I think if patients have their own data, then they have the power. And really, I want them to feel like they're in control of, and not me saying, yep, you don't need me. This is what we're going to do. It's for you. Well, I think when you've got a good sense of who you are, you feel more comfortable allowing the patient to feel more empowered with information, with data, et cetera. I think you mentioned that. And, and, and I remember you saying this to me before when we did the video with you about how you have a set, how you set yourself up for success. I sit lower than the patient. I look at the patient. I actively engage and listen to the patient. I I think these are just good ways to set yourself up for success. Doc, along the lines of like around patient expectations, do you think that those expectations are changing over the years, or does it seem to kind of have like the same through line as, as when you started? I think they're changing. I think they're separating somewhat from reality. In my communication with patients, at the sum is, what's the most precise way I can convey that or communicate that? So an emphasis, precision, and empathy. Social shift. Hi, I'm Jared Johnson, and this is your Social Shift. This is where we focus on the things that are going right in healthcare. We talk about recent changes and developments and news articles that we've seen and read and heard about things that are making healthcare a better place for you and me. And with this Social Shift, I want to give a big shout out 
to Benzer Pharmacy, which is an independent pharmacy chain in many states throughout the country. And they had a recent announcement that I just wanted to share and kind of give them a congrats for on behalf of all of us, because Benzer Pharmacy just announced that they're partnering with the Uber Health to offer their patients free transportation to their pharmacies from their home or hospital. So in my mind, that doesn't only help patients who currently have a means of transportation, it also will improve patient medication adherence. It'll help just make more patients overall stick to their meds a little bit better. And so I just wanted to give a quick shout out. I saw that come through recently and I thought, man, that's really cool. This isn't the first time that a healthcare organization has partnered with Uber Health. You know, there are other transportation partnerships happening. I know right here in my backyard in Phoenix, Arizona, Banner Health, they have a partnership with Lyft. They've been doing that for at least a year now. And so, you know, this isn't the first time it's going on, but it's pretty cool to hear that it's happening with pharmacy chains as well. And just wanted to give that a big shout out because I thought, I think this is just the beginning. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities and a lot of attempts and progress made to make healthcare come closer to us and not have to go find it ourselves. And so that was just a really cool news article that I saw when it came through and I thought, you know what, I ought to give them a shout out in Social Shift. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen, that's your Social Shift for this time. Tune in in the future where we'll be offering more highlights of just cool news items that are happening about healthcare going right. This has been great. Thank you so, so much for your time. Like, I really appreciate your coming on and, and giving us a glimpse into your practice. The video recording that, that Scott talked about, you know, I had the chance to be there and to, to meet with these couples and to talk with some of the patients. And even when you were off in another room, just how glowingly they spoke of you and how much they appreciated all these things that you're talking about, the attention, hearing them, actually listening to them and, and hearing their pain. So, it's clearly making a difference. It's clearly making a difference, not only in, the, in relationship, but also in the outcomes themselves. So, Doc, we just really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you having me. And if I could tell patients one thing, find a doctor you're comfortable with because the journey of life can be very difficult. And then that's going to make that difficult journey better for you. Definitely. Definitely. Well, guys, thank you for joining us today. Paradigm Shift of Healthcare is brought to you by P3 Inbound. You can find our full archive of episodes at paradigmshift.health and recommend a guest or topic on Twitter at P3 Inbound. Thanks. Thanks again for tuning in to the Paradigm Shift of Healthcare. This program is brought to you by P3 Inbound, marketing for ortho, spine, and neural practices. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 